Hi, and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Child and Adolescent Health. My name's Priya, and today we're discussing an article on the UK immunisation programme with meningococcal group B vaccine. We're joined by the author of the paper, Dr Phil Bryan. Welcome. Thank you. So, Dr Bryan, in September 2015, the UK implemented a nationwide routine broad-spectrum meningococcal group B vaccine, and they're the first country to do so. Your paper reports the outcomes of the safety surveillance of this vaccine. So could you please first summarise the immunisation schedule of this vaccine? Yes, so, so in terms of the background to the vaccination programme, uh, meningococcal group B, it's, it's a very serious infection in terms of its mortality, as well as the long-term disability in some survivors, which can include limb amputations and, and brain damage. The highest rate of invasive meningococcal disease is in children under 12 months of age, with group B responsible for the vast majority of those cases. So in 2013, a vaccine based on four surface proteins of MenB, and therefore expected to provide a broad level of protection against MenB strains, was licensed for use in Europe. This is manufactured by GSK under the brand name Bexero. And then in 2015, the UK became the first country to introduce a national publicly funded MenB vaccine program using this particular vaccine. It's recommended as a three-dose schedule to be given alongside other routine vaccinations at two and four months of age with a booster dose at around 12 months. Now, what we knew from the clinical trials was that the vaccine was likely to be more reactogenic, and by that I mean to be higher rates of the more common and expected adverse reactions that we can see with infant vaccines, such as fever and injection site reactions, and particularly when it's given alongside other routine vaccines. And although these events are mostly mild and self-limiting, paracetamol prophylaxis is recommended to be given with the first two doses to reduce fever and any discomfort that the infants may experience. To assess suspected adverse reactions, you use data from the UK Yellow Card Scheme and electronic primary care records. Can you tell us more about the Yellow Card Scheme, what it is, who it covers and how it works? Yes, so the Yellow Card Scheme was established more than 50 years ago now in in the wake of the thalidomide tragedy. It's operated by the UK Medicines Regulator, the MHRA, and it's the national system for reporting suspected adverse reactions to medicines and vaccines. These don't have to be proven reactions, just any suspicion that a side effect to a product may have occurred. Anyone can submit a Yellow Card report at any time, including parents and carers, which is particularly important for the continuous vigilance of of childhood vaccinations. Now, most countries have a similar system of passive surveillance, and its main purpose is to support the detection of possible new risks and to support the continued safe use throughout the lifespan of all pharmaceutical products on the UK market. And the surveillance scheme also covers other products, such as medical devices, as well as defective and counterfeit healthcare products. And the scheme now also operates through web-based and smartphone technology, which makes it much easier for people uh, and parents to access. We have teams of scientists who continuously review yellow card data, but we don't only rely on yellow card data to, to monitor safety. We also incorporate analysis of electronic health records, such as the Clinical Practice Research Data Link, which covers about 8% of general practices across the UK. And this allows us to more proactively monitor health outcomes following vaccines and medicines. And this this, this secondary data source was also an important part of our our analysis. And what were the main findings of your study? 
So after 3 million doses of, of, of MEMB vaccine, the overall rate of yellow card reporting, with just over 900 reports, it's, it's been about one report per 3,000 doses ad administered. And this is less than half of what we actually expected to, to receive. If, if we compare it to, for example, when meningitis C vaccine was first introduced in the UK back in 1999, which we had a, a reporting rate closer to about one, one report per thousand doses back then. For the MB vaccine so far, the vast majority of the reports we've had have, have been for fever and for localised reactions. And this is entirely what we expected to see based on the knowledge from clinical trials and, and these have mostly been transient and self-limiting reactions. Now, because under-reporting is likely to occur to, to, to the yellow card scheme and other passive surveillance schemes, and because reports can also include coincidental events, we can't actually use the yellow card data to determine the true incidence of side effects. And we also can't use these reports to evaluate the impact of, of paracetamol on fever rates. So whilst this low reporting rate seems reassuring, I think health professionals and parents were told to expect these reactions and so we're probably less likely to report something that isn't serious and which they expect to happen. Because of isolated reports in the clinical trials, we also carried out specific statistical analysis of any reports of, of seizures and Kawasaki disease following vaccination. In terms of seizures, uh, despite the likely increased rate of acute fever following the vaccine, our analysis of yellow cards as well as seizures recorded in general practice has so far shown no increase above what we'd normally expect to see shortly after routine vaccinations before the meningitis B vaccine was introduced. And in relation to Kawasaki disease, we've so far received three reports, which again is also consistent with the expected background rate of this condition in the absence of vaccination. So for seizures and Kawasaki disease so far, there's been no evidence of a safety concern, but the numbers are still small, so we will look to do a more robust analysis on that as we gather more data. We've also received four reports of sudden death within the few days of vaccination, but given that the peak background incidence of sudden infant death is around the time that the first two doses of MEMB vaccine are given, these few reports are entirely consistent with chance, and we have no reason to suspect any association with the vaccine. And then lastly, a slight concern before the programme started was that the reactogenicity could deter parents from completing a three-dose course with MEMB vaccine and could even have a knock-on effect on compliance with other vaccines which are recommended at the same time. So reassuringly, our analysis of vaccinations recorded in general practice has found no evidence for this and it's found very high compliance with MEMB vaccine as well as other routine vaccinations. So, based on your findings and those from previous studies, what is the benefit-risk profile of this meningococcal vaccination schedule? Well, I think we now have a, a significant level of experience following more than 3 million doses of, of MEMB vaccine given in the UK. And what the data, data so far tell us is that we've seen pretty much what we expected to see in terms of safety. There's also a clear indication from the compliance with immunisation that parents have accepted the vaccine and indeed its reactogenicity and it's now firmly embedded in the immunisation programme. Now, we've seen from other studies across the UK that a few more children are visiting their GP or attending hospital with fever shortly after vaccination, and perhaps that's not surprising, given what we already knew about the vaccine. But what's important from a safety perspective is that any hospitalisations for febrile illness following the vaccination have been precautionary, generally to rule out a serious infection, online infection, and the children have tended to be discharged within a day or so with no serious adverse consequences. 
So in terms of the cons of vaccination, I think managing these increased fever rates and local reactions is one of the trade-offs with this vaccine, and that's why we use paracetamol prophylaxis, and it's important that parents are compliant with that. Of course, we have to continue our surveillance to confirm the safety profile from these early data and, and, to, and to identify any possible very rare risks that may emerge. Now, crucially, in terms of the pros and the benefits of the vaccine, Public Health England have found that during the first 10 months of the vaccination programme, cases of invasive men B disease have halved in infants who are eligible for the vaccine with an estimated effectiveness of 94% against vaccine-preventable strains. So this is really encouraging evidence that the vaccine is having an important impact in reducing the mortality and morbidity of what is a devastating infection in infants. And combined with the safety data that we have so far collected over the first 20 months of the programme, it shows a very, very favourable balance of benefits versus risks at this stage. Thank you, Dr. Brian, and thank you, listeners. See you again next time.